Welcome to the Civil War in the American South. We're on a particularly harsh Louisiana cotton plantation, where slaves are beaten for speaking and randomly executed without reason or mercy. One slave named Eden refuses to let this place break her spirit, even though she is forced to pick cotton from dawn to dusk and is repeatedly raped by the Confederate general known only as him. And then, in a flash, the year is 2020, and Eden is now a successful black author named Veronica Henley. Something is going on, but what is it? Let's find out as we dig into the unfairly critically reviled horror thriller Antebellum. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, horror fans. This is episode 104 of the Filmgasm podcast, available wherever podcasts are listened to. Just got onto Amazon Music and Pocket Cast, so if you're listening to us from there, welcome to the show. Hope you like it. And uh, I'd also like to point out that if you enjoy what you hear and would like to help us improve the show, uh, feel free to donate if you want. Every cent we earn through listener donations goes right back into the show. If you want to do that, just go to wherever, uh, whatever your listening platform is, click on support this podcast in the description, and thank you very much. You don't have to, but if you do, we really appreciate that. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's just something that's great that Anchors allows any podcast to do, and I would highly suggest anyone who's trying to make their own podcast to try it out for themselves. Yeah, it's done wonders for us already. Like, it's fantastic. And uh, there's no rewind today. Nothing happened. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Antebellum. Uh, I was looking forward to, to seeing this uh, when the trailers initially dropped. I was very surprised at the uh, largely negative reaction to this film. Uh, when you first saw the trailers, what did you expect from this movie? Because I know the trailers are intentionally misleading. Yeah, and I, you know we've gotten used to that with the likes of Ari Aster's, you know, Hereditary and Midsommar's tra- trailers. Those are just a couple that stand out. We've gotten used to that, the misleading aspect of this. That's because horror movies are really hard to make these days. You know, a lot has been done in this genre and it's hard to be really creative. Uh, That's why it's really special when it's done, you know? Yeah. And this movie, I think my favorite part of it is that it does go for it. It's trying to do something different, whether it executes on all cylinders. It's not really my concern. There's an idea there and it took me away. It genuinely took me away. Um, I'm, I'm frustrated with the, the kind of, backlash and the really bad IMDb score and all that. It, you're like, why are we so harsh on horror movies? <laughs> if this were looked at as just a drama, you know, period piece, I think people would judge it differently. And that's unfair. Well, I was, when I saw the trailers, you know, I, everyone was thinking like, what is this a time travel movie? Is this some kind of dream sequence thing? Like what is going on? And the, the execution is so like unbelievably simple that it never even occurred to me that that what was go what is what was going on and i love that once once that once the other shoe drops it becomes a completely different animal and it's just i i was blown away yeah yeah and of course we'll get into kind of like that part of the, the plot a little later and i you know we spent the you know we split it 10 and 10 it's 20 bucks uh vod i would say it's worth it if you you know I, i'm not saying 20 because I didn't spend the 20, <laughs> but it was definitely worth the 10. Uh, I'll say that. And, uh, my girlfriend and I enjoyed it. Brianna, shout out to you. She, she, you know, we love Janelle Monet and certainly felt like this was a movie that's timely. Yeah. Uh, even though it was finished, uh, I feel like 
years before or a couple years ago, I think it was like a finished product. So that's really interesting, right? How things just come out when they are supposed to. Uh, and so, yeah, hats off to those two guys that Gerard and I'm not sure what the other guy's name is. Uh, what's his name? I, I know the first, the first guy's name is Gerard. Um, I'm looking up right yeah, now. Yeah. Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz. Yes. Yeah. Christopher Renz. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to those guys for, you know, trying something different and for finding the right time for it to come out. <laughs> yeah. And I, Obvious spoiler warning. If you haven't seen this, we are going to rip this movie apart. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, watch it, then come listen, because otherwise you I think you need to know nothing for this movie to work as well as it does. Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So Antebellum was denied a theater release due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So it got a VOD release instead on September 18th. We pitched in, watched it, and all, and we came away thinking it was a brilliant, culturally relevant, timely horror thriller. The rest of the world did not. <laughs> Antebellum is currently sitting at an IMDb score of 5.5, a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of 28%, and an audience score of 59%. Why do you think everyone hated this but us? I don't know. And, you know, I'll say uh, I've referenced the, the Big Picture podcast. I listened to Gerard and Christopher on a podcast, you know, talk about how it's purposefully polarizing yeah. all of these things. <clears throat> and, you know, Sean Fennessy, the guy who's hosting it, is like, I thought it was cool, you know? And I don't, I don't really understand. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. I, as a horror fan, this is, this is pleasing to me. It's fulfilling. It's different. Does it, does it really frighten me in the way that uh, typically this, this genre does? No. But it got under, underneath our skin, right? And, that's a whole different animal and that, that kind of breaks genre. And that's totally what we're here to do on filmgasm is talk about all the films under that like umbrella of genre, you know, and antebellum certainly is fucking with all kinds of different things. And I thought the cast did a brilliant job. I thought certain moments used maybe music in the wrong ways, or there's transitioning that was a little weak, but for fuck's sake, like these guys haven't made 30 films or anything, you know, like, yeah it's their first, you know, first real go at it with, you know, these kind of actors. So uh, give them a little slack <laughs> and don't be so harsh on horror, I think is the main thing. And we, we'll always talk about this and we'll try to uh, shine a light on it when we can over on Oscar Sunday is oh, horror's important. And it's frustrating when it kind of is looked at as in a harsher lens than other genres. It's frustrating. It is. And I think the thing I didn't like the most about, I was reading some of the reviews and a lot of people said that they found the film to be unpleasant. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. You're not supposed to be, like, you're not supposed to enjoy this movie. You're supposed to be repulsed. Yeah, and I will say, like, my, to me, this is, again, makes a lot more sense if you've seen the film. And, it, and I'll, I'll say this, knowing that the people who are listening have, and you, Connor, is, to me, the most impactful scene is, is the opening. Once you know what happened, yeah. what's going, once you know what's going on, it very much becomes the most horrifying scene of the whole film for me to me. And I, I think a lot of people would agree if you just kind of look back at it or rewatch it, knowing what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's very unsettling, <laughs> but that's kind of what horror's going for. <laughs> yeah. Horror's supposed to fuck you up. It's supposed to make you think like, holy shit, who would do that? Yeah. And that is all, that's the main emotion I had with this film is like, what, the fuck yeah because it made way too much sense to me like i believe that this could happen and i'm i would 
honestly not be surprised if it was happening. There's so much, you know, people disappear all the time. There's so much just racial tension in this country right now, more than there's been in a long time. And you just, you don't know what people are capable of until you see them do it. Yeah. And and you know that, that line from him, uh, at one point, this kind of speaks to the whole movie is when he says like, we're nowhere, but everywhere. Jesus. Yeah. Oh God. They're just, (laughs) that's frightening. That's really frightening. Yeah. Like to put that in a film and for it to fit within the story with good performances on top of it. That's, that's frightening. Yeah. There's moments in this film where you have like a visceral reaction for me. And it was, um, at the beginning when they're picking cotton and the, the overseers are saying like, this is not like the places you've been in the past. This is harsh. And then they pan away and you just see them burning the cotton that's been picked. Because at first you think like, why would they do that? They're just hurting their own cause. But then once you realize what's going on, you're like, oh shit, there's no goal here but pain. And that is just horrifying. Yeah. God. Oh yeah. I'm digging into this one's going to be rough. Yeah. And it's certainly, you know, I think it would be dumb to not uh, talk about, you know, certainly a film like Get Out that has an influence on it, that that atmosphere, that tension uh, it's it it's a powerful thing to put into a movie, and when it's done right, I just I think it I again I think it's really frightening. But why would a film like Get Out have such incredible praise, Oscar nomination, you know, winner of screenplay, and then a film like Antebellum completely panned across the board with a similar tone and a similar idea? So like where where's the okay. line here? Like what okay what made this film so reviled? That's that's really interesting. I, I honestly had no idea we'd go there, but I I like that if you just put them both on the table. Well, I I think I think we both agree that Jordan Peele is a guy people already loved, right? That's before, true. Before the movie happened, and I'll say, and I th- we're not saying Get Out's not as like we're not saying Antebellum's a better movie or anything. No, but as far as the tone goes, and I, I agree with what you're saying, it's tough when you look at it that way. And I certainly love, the, you know, the score and Get Out and the transitions and Get Out is definitely a well, like a much better developed film. I but, agree with that. But why? Yeah, I don't know if there's a definitive answer. There that. isn't really. That's so fascinating. I I think Jordan Peele has a little bit to do with it, but it can't be the whole thing. Uh, that yeah, it, it really kind of shocked me when I watched because we watched it pretty early after it came out. Yeah. Like a day. And so I I was just kind of shocked when I kind of woke up the next day and was reading reviews. And I was like, man, I I think, I don't think people were watching the same thing as me or maybe I'm missing something. I think a lot of it. And like, so I'm currently uh, enrolled in some college courses, one of which is uh, democracy and education, kind of going through the history of African-Americans trying to be, to like claim their own education in this country and constantly being held back by mostly white men. So a film like this rolls along and I'm going to apply what I've learned in that class to this film while I'm watching it. It's just natural. And I think, and I'm, I might be way off base here. And if I am, I apologize. But I think a lot of the hate comes from bitter white people who think that this movie is an attack on them. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. No, you're not wrong to think that hundred percent. It's, that's kind of okay, and I think that brings Get Out into play again. It's not Get Out's dark. Get Out's very dark. 
Um, but this one's darker as far as an attack on white people and being like, racism is real. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, that's for sure. Cause yeah, one thing that white people don't want to do is admit when they're wrong or admit that they're a part of the problem. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. It's like offensive. Yeah. And you're like, fuck you, you know, like slavery existed in this country for 200 years. That's not going to just go away. It's something that needs to be addressed. We need to, we can't just sweep it under the rug. Films like this remind us that this shit was not a fairy tale. This shit happened. It did not happen that long ago. And yeah, it was unpleasant. It was, it was a nightmare. It was a, it was horrific time to be black in America. So a film that reminds you of that, I don't think should just be immediately swept under the rug as being like intentionally hateful because mm-hmm. it's, it's more of a history lesson than anything else. So yeah, that's just my piece. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a fascinating, and that's, that's kind of the conversation around this movie that I think that I think is so interesting are, are all those things that are going on at once. And I love that the filmmakers wanted it to be polarizing. That was their sure. whole, their whole goal. This is a this is a black guy and a white guy that were just teamed up and have been buddies for a long time and just love watching movies and figured they'd they'd give this story a go and I'm glad they did. Yeah, <laughs> my my god. So let's talk about them for a bit. Antebellum is the feature film debut of writing directing team Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, and they've both done a lot of shorts together, but this was their first full length movie. Yeah, and. I really hope they get to do more because they've got some neat ideas, really unique ideas. And I hope we get to see more from these guys. Yeah. And they're, they're thinking in the right ways for me, for me as someone who's that's like, I'm watching their first movie ever, you know, their first feature length movie. And I'm like looking to see signs of, okay, it was all there. There's certainly an eye, a certain cinematography and directing that's there. Right. Uh, in certain moments, I loved the shot of Janelle Monet with the, she's holding the torch, that that widescreen shot with the trees and the oh. cabin behind her is on fire. It's just fucking a, victory. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, image. And there's just a few of those that really shake you. And when she's when she's riding away, Janelle Monet again, they they really knew how to film her, just the way her hair is bouncing and her her yelling. Like they just they knew how to film her. They knew what they were doing. And I, I really love that. And I look <laughs> I look to that kind of stuff. I think they're going to be ready for another movie and it probably will be better. I agree. I was just thinking about something. Uh, goes back to what we were saying about kind of the racial identity of this film. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's, it really sad, like saddens me that racism is so ingrained in this country's DNA that films like this a film that attacks racists, some actually see it as an attack on white people. And it's become just so <laughs> fucking yeah. sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and that, that, of course, always gets, you know, gets gets lost, right? Yeah. That part of it, and always trying to dodge the, dodge the blame, dodge the guilt. The know? same people who are trying to rewrite textbooks to say that slavery was a choice yeah. and that we yeah. split the land with the native americans you can't just erase genocide from history you can't do it no the only thing we can do is you know embrace what happened learn from it and try to move past it yeah and, and in the case of this film which is current yeah and get out which was current 
it's it's telling you that we haven't gotten any, over any sort of hump just because we had a black president. We haven't gotten over shit. If anything, so, shit seems to have gotten worse. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it certainly made me think of, um, I'm glad you brought it back up. It certainly, <laughs> it certainly made me think of uh, Ava DuVernay's 13th, where I saw kind of some symbolism there of, of, of modern slavery, of the prison systems, the mass incarceration of black male, you know, males all over the country and for doing things that quite frankly, you know, I've done, or you know what I mean? Just smoking weed or whatever it may be. It's simple things to get them to work for these massive corporations while they're in prison. It's modern slavery. And this movie made me think of that and made me think of if it hasn't stopped we're still in this. Why is it really called modern when it's just kept going and it's been a continuous thing? It's just slavery. And it's obviously 100% not right. But when we're here on a podcast and talking about it, I think it is important to bring these kinds of stories into film for that representation and for that almost, you see... You know, you see what's going through my mind. Like one of these guys who wrote this movie, who came up with this idea and directed it, Gerard Bush is, is a is a black male and very much feels some of these things. You're you, no one has any right to take that away from them. No, no one. And this is a film that very much has you know a target audience to a lot of you know to a lot of black Americans. I'm sure they've imagined you know what if slavery never never stopped, and this is a movie that deals with that nightmare. Yes. I've never seen anything like that. And I love that we have a film that actually depicts that kind of nightmare. There's, you know, horror is full of nightmares. Some, some very broad, some very specific, but I'd never seen this one before. Yeah. So now we have it. Yeah. And it's obviously an interesting one to talk about. Polarizing indeed. Yeah. I know there's a lot of you who are not going to agree with what we're saying here. And you know what? That's okay. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Horror is subjective. History isn't. So, I mean, that's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and Connor and I are in agreement here. So, yeah, you, you, there might be someone who's like, oh, we want a voice there who's challenging us. But I, 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 I find it hard to see it, to see it any other way other than, yeah, that those emotions and those feelings of slavery still happening are, are authentic and totally understandable and something that should be explored in film and in art. If you and like to put it plainly, like if you didn't like the movie because you thought you know the, the acting wasn't great, the story wasn't great, that's fine. You know, more power to you. But if you had like a gut visceral reaction of like this movie is attacking my race because I'm a white person, fuck you. Which is <laughs> well, yeah, which is shit you read on the internet. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've seen I've seen plenty of reviews that just talk about. I didn't like the transitioning. I didn't like this or and that's, that. That's totally understandable, you know? I didn't, yeah. I didn't like some of the decisions that were made. I didn't like the runtime. Like, I've heard all that stuff, which is which is shit you hear about every movie, right? Yeah. Someone has that to say about every movie, so, you know, you just move along. But I, I encourage people to check it out for themselves, right? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, go in with a friend because 20 bucks is ridiculous. <laughs> it's, better than, <laughs> it's better than 30 for Mulan. Oh, yeah. We're not going to stop talking about that. Fuck you, Disney. Um... So the film stars Janelle Monet as Veronica Henley. Monet is a highly accomplished musician and model who had her film debut in 2016 with her appearances in Moonlight and Hidden Figures, both huge critical successes 
with the former winning Best Picture that year. She's on her way to having a very successful film career to add to her growing list of accolades. And I never really thought much of her, but I fucking loved her in this. She was so good. She's the best. Teresa in Moonlight is one of the best, best, best characters. I, she, at one point, you know, is just for Chiron. She's just getting uh, like orange juice for him. I'm like, I want some orange juice from Teresa. <laughs> I love Janelle Monae. You know, and she's got some real, real kick-ass music, you know, Dirty Computer. And I, I, I really like what she's kind of bringing to pop culture. You know, I, I like her a lot. She's set to be a major player in the next, like, 20 years of Hollywood. Uh, Tongai Sharisa plays Eli, who's actually a noted professor turned slave. Fuck, we'll get into it. Eli helps Veronica escape, gets killed in the process. Uh, Charissa is a pretty accomplished actor himself, appearing in a recurring role on the TV shows I, Zombie and The Jim Gaffigan Show. He also appeared in Palm Springs, released on Hulu earlier this year. Jack Houston plays the sadistic Captain Jasper, the overseer who takes pleasure in breaking spirits. Houston got his big break with the recurring role of Richard Harrow on HBO's Boardwalk Empire. Since then, he's popped up in films such as American Hustle, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Hail Caesar, Ben-Hur, The Irishman, and he had a recurring role on the Stephen King series, Mr. Mercedes. He's also the grandson of Oscar-winning director John Houston and the nephew of Oscar winner Angelica Houston and her brother, Danny Houston. His family is immensely talented. Oh, oh, oh and then Walter. Yeah, oh my God. Four generations of great performers. Yeah, and and Jack is he's got this this look where he would be an actor in any decade that he would have been born in. You know, yeah. he's got that look. He's got 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 the ability, and I, I really really like him and can't wait to see what he does. I, I was I, I didn't realize he was he was just thirty seven, so I'm excited to see what else he can do. He was I loved him in Boardwalk Empire. Oh, Richard Harrow is such a complex character, and. Even as Jasper, he's such a sadistic shit. Oh, yeah. He, he, he sells evil so well in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Little things like, you know, what did you say? Like, you know, give me a reason. Shit like that. Ugh. Yeah, he's just, and he's doing all this, yeah, like for entertainment. He's, yeah. He's crazy. They're all there for enjoyment. Like, this is a fun weekend for these fucks. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, Jenna Malone plays the psychotic Elizabeth, the ultimate catfish who targets notable black people, then assists in their enslavement. Malone has appeared in such films as The Neon Demon, Contact, Nocturnal Animals, Inherent Vice, and The Hunger Games franchise. Yeah, and Donnie Darko. She's the uh, the young one that Jake Gyllenhaal dates in Donnie Darko. Oh. Right. <laughs> she's been here for a while. Yeah. Kick yeah. ass. She's also um, like 35, and I was kind of shocked to see that. We're getting older, damn it. <laughs> this means, you know, more potential for great films that we can bring to these podcasts. Yes, indeed. Oscar nominee Gabare Sidibe plays Dawn, Veronica's best friend. Sidibe was nominated for her performance in 2009's Precious, and since then she's appeared in such films as Seven Psychopaths, Top Five, The Brothers Grimsby, and she's had recurring roles in TV shows such as Empire, Difficult People, and American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. She came up fast out of nowhere oscar nomination on her first film and then just you know whatever really she wanted yeah just kind of doing doing her thing just kind of picking and choosing i i think she's pretty good and um i haven't seen every season of um american horror story but i've seen that one yeah with uh sarah paulson yeah and angela bassett and that one's a pretty cool season and not exactly narrowing it down are you 
Well, I, I, I haven't seen them all, so I wouldn't know Sarah Paulson's in a lot of them. She's in like all of them. Uh, Angela Bassett too. She's in like two or three. Oh, okay. I should I should probably check out more of them because I love most of the actors. Is Kathy Bates in a lot of them too? Yeah, yeah. Um, who else? Jessica Lange. It's the one. It's the one where Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Stevie Nicks is a big influence. I watched the first two uh, seasons and then I was like, "This is fucking boring," and I moved uh, on. <laughs> I couldn't do yeah, it. Sorry to any fans out there. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Apparently, but yeah, but, she's good uh, in that. <laughs> I th- my problem with the first two seasons of American Horror Story is they went too long. Like the story was resolved around like episode eight, but they had to like you know squeeze out that thirteen. <laughs> So we ended up getting just nonsensical shit for the next like five episodes. Well, that's TV, right? I was tired of it. Like, I don't need this. That's most of the time it's TV. (laughs) Extra fluff. I'm sure they got better, but I don't care. (laughs) Finally, Kiersey Clemens plays the unfortunate Julia, whose suicide is one of the darkest moments of the film. Clemens is set to portray Iris West in Zack Snyder's director's cut of Justice League. And she has also appeared in such films as Dope, Flatliners, Scoob, Lady and the Tramp, and Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. I was just talking shit about TV, but she's really good in um, Transparent, that TV show. I remember that. And she's real good in um, Easy on Netflix. Uh, Yeah, so just talked shit about TV, but... (laughs) I didn't talk shit about TV, I talked shit about American Horror Story. (laughs) I I definitely did, because I'm I'm biased. I'm always going to be biased towards... Film is easier, and I think more entertaining, because I don't have time to commit to, you know, eight season TV show. It's just not worth the effort, especially the first two seasons. Don't do it for me. Yeah. I can watch like five movies inside of like a season of, you know, whatever show. Yeah, exactly. Especially a show that's like an hour a piece. Yeah. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a franchise right there. That's a pain in the ass. (laughs) So far, Antebellum has only grossed $1.8 million in at home rentals making it a huge failure against its $15 million budget. But that is hardly the, the movie's fault. You know, shit has been bad for the film industry this year. Yeah. So I do not blame the box office failure on the film in this case. No, I actually think, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal year, I think it would do really well. Horror movies tend to at least make their money back. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? It has its audience at least. And then I think with this cast, I, I do think it would have gotten... A pretty solid audience. I bet in five years, this is going to be a cult classic. Certainly hope so. I hope you're right. So with that, let's talk about the movie. So, yeah, you know our new format. We're not just going to read off the plot synopsis anymore. Now we're just kind of wing it and talk about our favorite moments. So, yeah. So, yeah, with 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 that said, the like I said, the opening scene to me, when you know, when you know that it's 2020 the whole time, <laughs> And then you think about, oh, damn, like that guy like lassoed that girl in the middle of like a street on a on top of a horse. You're like, what? And that that's when you like your brain starts clicking. You start reimagining the entire movie. And that right there already was like, well, this movie's like at least a seven or eight because I'm thinking about it hard. Yeah. The moment that got me once you realize what's going on is Daniel. Yeah. And his mm-hmm. invitation to have sex with Julia and his initial, you know, kind of apprehension and Julia kind of taking advantage of that. Realize like, maybe you're not like the rest of the, cause at first you're thinking like, you know, he's still a Confederate. He's still a bad person. He's not going to do the right thing here. But looking back, you're like, this motherfucker is like some, you know, trust fund asshole who is here to rape black people. And there is no possible thing he could do that is, that makes him a good person. 
and just like when he you know kicks her and then he like backs up like I didn't mean to like he has that moment of like oh what did I do he, like he remembers she's a person oh, it's so fucked up that moment where the general's cell phone rings and you realize it's a Kaiser Soze moment where you just look at the board and you're like oh my god Kobayashi and that's <laughs> that's uh yeah cook <laughs> the whole you're just like fuck Kaiser Soze that's that and that's uh, Eric Lang as as him. Mm. And he's uh that he's real good in that scene when he picks up the phone, you know. It changes the voice is just you know like tell him shut the yeah, fuck up. Yeah. I will be there on Monday. Like just yeah. What the fuck? Which which is like for you know for a slight moment you're like what almost like laughing like are you serious like because it's yeah you start piecing everything together and you're realizing that oh my god at some point they got to explain to me that she got kidnapped. This is Rob. This is General Lee's wacky weekend getaway. Like what the fuck? It's 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 insanity, and and uh, you know tonally, I, I felt you know the village right where this is. Oh, it's like an experiment. Like it's a thing they're just doing for fun. Like Truman Show shit. Like what? You know, I I've, I've never seen that. You know, we've seen something like that, obviously referencing movies like that, but we've never seen it this like dark, where it's actually actually taking taking. <laughs> racism and slavery into account uh, like whoa like this is a a group of people who think like god the world would be better if we still had slaves yeah like, don't oh, you man. fucking miss that and, like, and it's and it's like you know i would i thought for sure you know this would be like a you know an hbo show where you could dive into scenes of like these characters when they go home and they're just like they this is you know what i mean it's that fucked up this movie actually makes you think, like, oh my god, and 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 then, hopefully, you think, oh my god, racism's really real, and you know you got to be fucking careful, and that's the harsh truth of this film, of what it's trying to get across. It really is like it. I mean, I think the most disturbing fact of this thing, is, and I mean, it would be horrific if they were kidnapping anybody, but the fact that they are deliberately targeting strong outspoken black people and and like making it look fucking colonial and shit like they're in like all right now like the kids are gonna go and do this or whatever and cook with the you're like what they have that moment of like you know boot camp where jasper shows up and is like this is not like the plantations you have worked on before this yeah. is hell and i am the devil like it is like yes so so back to back to like saying if it were a tv show you could have an episode where it's jack houston's character exploring him without the accent and he's just like hanging out at home and God, you're like i don't know if i could handle that i i'm t- this is when movies and i again get out did a similar thing to me where i was like really thinking about katherine keener's performance and i was like she's fucked <laughs> And I was thinking about Jack Houston a lot, and I was, he is fucked, you know. So is he? He's he and Elizabeth are married, right? That's what I gathered. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was brother and sister or married, and no, I mean they are rednecks. It could be fucking both. It, who knows? But uh, <laughs> who knows in this? Yeah. It's just uh, they're that fucked. They I really, are that yeah, fucked. they really are. They're villains that make you think. Like I don't know what they're gonna do. Like. It's unpredictable. It's yeah. very much like they could very just go scary. off and kill everybody. Very scary. At any moment. And, you know, the Confederate general just like raping Veronica every night, making her call herself Eden. It's fucked up. They take away their names. Like, ugh. yeah, that's, you know, again, 
the, the trailer, right? Yeah. We brought up earlier in the episode is, is misleading in that, in that way where it is 2020 the whole time. She's dressed up like this cause they dress them up like this. Yeah. Like it's like it's prison. And you know, it it's fucking is prison. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. It's worse than prison. It's old school prison. Like it's like, it's, it's fucking the original straight up the definition of slavery. Yep. And, and the movie's, it's really obviously hitting that home over and over. And when it does, yeah, what you brought up, what was the term you used when you figure out what's really going the on? The Kobayashi moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The Kobayashi moment. It's, it's something else. Cause for a moment you, for you even forget as the audience, like what you're exactly watching. Like, Oh, it's just a, thriller. I was like, get out of there. Janelle Monet. <laughs> the second Veronica wakes up in her apartment. I'm like, what? Yeah where are we now? Like, how is this connected? But the way they, they explain it is so brilliant. It's, it's just a cell phone ringing in the 1860s. That's all it took. That's what it seems like to us. And we're just like, like, Oh no, it's not. Oh my God. I'm an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. It's just fucking reenactors lost their minds. Yeah. 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 Which is, which is like the village thing just on like all the worst drugs in the world. You know, it's, it's like an experiment. Are you serious? Is this a project to you guys? This is like a, all right, we're just going to continue this like until they're just beat down until they're mentally and physically just done. Yeah. You know, that, well, the that's, plan that's here, insanity. Like the vibe I got was the plan here is to erase who they are proud of and make them like kind of know their place in their yeah, way. That's that's yes. Like their you, philosophy is that you are weaker than us. Yeah. And we're going to make you feel that way. Yeah. How dare you consider yourself a professor? How dare you write a bestseller? How dare you take charge of your own life? You are less than us. Yeah. It's so fucked up. It's extremely, so disturbingly, extremely dark. And, 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 you know, I'll say, man, when they, when we do have the flashes to when uh, Veronica's just living her life, those scenes are pretty good too. And you do need the scene with her and her daughter, right? That adds so much punch to Adds the stakes. Yeah, exactly. Seeing her family. That what she's got to get back to her work. Like she's an important author, an important writer, an important voice as Janelle Monet is in real life, you know? And I love, I love that she, you could tell her she felt the impact of, of that character and what she was going through. Oh, she very much did. And, uh, I want to talk about the, uh, the kidnapping. Yes. That was for me the most terrifying moment of the movie because okay. I've often had that idea of like, did I get, you know, what if I got in the wrong Uber? Like nobody's ever going to see me again. And that's, you know, a very real fear that a lot of people have. So to use that and combine it with the slavery nightmare, I had fucking goosebumps. Like it was, it really unnerved me. It's, it's, you give me them right now. Yeah. Thinking about it. Just, just that relatability and that you can apply it to life. Like to get that phone call of like, Hey, I'm your Uber while you're sitting in your Uber. (laughs) Fuck. And then her, her friends are right there. Right in the, like in the next car, and they they're so drunk they don't see her, and Jack Houston just you know chloroforms her, and it's oh Jesus, like like helpless, you know, like there's nothing she there's nothing in that moment there's nothing she can do. Like these people are that evil that their will, their evil will and desires, like who can be on guard for that? Well, when Elizabeth Skype calls Veronica and is like, hey, remember we talked. Oh, is that your daughter? I'd love to see her play with my little girl. Yeah. Oh, God. Oof. Yeah, Jenna Malone. Shout out to her, right? She has <laughs> some frightening Skype calls. Jesus. Jenna Malone and Jack Houston 
really got elevated, in my opinion, on this one. I didn't know they had it in them to be that fucking evil. Yeah, well, yeah, no, no. no. God damn. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, how do you even do that? How do you even conjure that up, man? Like, There's a lot to unpack with this movie. It's so just unforgiving. Oof. What are what what are some to to take it to the conversation to like a performance place? Yeah, we'll, we'll pick some nits here. Okay, what could be better? What was the? Is there something? Was there somebody that was like a little off or miscast? Or? Um, Confederate general. Okay, I thought he could have been fleshed out a little bit more. I'd love to know more about the guy who organized this whole fucking nightmare. Like, what is his life like? Who like what does he bring home? Yeah. And I thought they could have gotten a more, like, I don't want to say better actor, but a stronger actor to portray that villain. For sure. I think the guy I picked for later, I think you're going to like that guy. Me too. I think you'll like the guy <laughs> I chose too. I chose a lot of guys I think you'll like. I went yeah. with a guy who's traditionally known for playing very heroic characters. Me so. too in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Me too in a way. Yeah. Huh. Uh, more, really, on th- more on that later. I didn't really think about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I thought he was kind of underwhelming. I thought the Jasper's really the, the real bad guy here. But, you know, when it's like, you know, if you've known Darth Vader the whole time and then you meet the emperor and he's kind of a, you know, forgettable character. It's a little, I, I understand that mm-hmm. the comparison for sure went within the exact same film. Yeah, you've got the, you know, you've got the evil bastard, but then you hear that the evil bastard answers to somebody. You want that guy to be like three, four times as evil. And I mean, I'm, I'm not saying what he did wasn't evil. He was a fucking monster. But I wanted to see him kind of, you know, embrace the evil side of himself, you know, go full fucking General Lee. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. Jack Houston's for sure playing like the enforcer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely understand that. But another thing is like this film went pretty far in showing the horrors of slavery. But, you know, in my, you know, research in my college classes, like it did not go nearly as far as we really did. Mm hmm. And as much as I would like it to be realistic, I, I don't want to see that. Yeah. How about you? What do you think could have been done better? What I think could have been done better first off would be some of the fundamental decision-making. And this is again expected when two guys are making their first feature length movie. Um, in particular, the end, the, I thought the slow-mo shot of Janelle Monet was a little too long. And I wasn't a huge fan of the music paired with that particular scene. Okay, yeah. Decisions like that. I didn't really have... Uh, I understand that Eric Lang, like, I think there could have been someone a little more oomph in that, in that role. He almost but, felt like a placeholder. Yeah, but I, I thought everybody else was, was pretty spot on. And uh, yeah, there's just some fundamental things. That, that I think they'll just get better at, which is why I think their yeah. next movie will just be better off of, oh, okay, we saw what it takes to make a movie that's around two hours. Like, let's let's do it again and make it better and make it a little more concise because uh, horror is just not easy, man. <laughs> it's just not easy these like these days. I think there's a reason we don't have as many like quality horror films of this kind of budget. Yeah. Uh, you know, like last year, 2019, I thought there were some gems, but I didn't think there was like a handful or anything. Yeah, the year before that, though, was fucking full of hammers. And and in 2017, there are certainly some, you know, obviously Get Out and you know, Killing the Sacred Deer, and there's there's some ones here and there, Thorbreds, different kinds of ones, but they're all 
so different and so weird and hinge on different genres. You know, even like Parasite is doing all kinds of different stuff and definitely fucking with horror at times. It's just, it's a special genre and it's in a special time, but you got to be different and special to, to stand out right now. That's very true. And Antebellum, to me, as of the past few years, stands out. I agree. I mean, there's moments in this, like the opening, I think is brilliant. This cinematography of, the, you know, scanning the cotton fields, mm-hmm. the music paired with it, it, it made you unnerved. Yeah. Made you wonder, like, what exactly am I in for? Yeah, and it, it shows there, these two guys, Gerard and Christopher, it shows that the, these guys definitely know how to introduce something, you know, with short films. And there's certainly moments where you could have cut it off and been like, that would have been a brilliant short. You know, uh, certainly there's moments. Janelle Monet could play. She was that good that you believed that she could be a slave in the 1800s. She was that good. Uh, very much reminded me of um, some stuff that's going on with Lupita Nyong'o in 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. I like. I believe this. This is fucking crazy what they're able to conjure up. Uh, just like Jack Houston, I believe. And I believe Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave. One was actually... Back then, and one's 2020, that's the most frightening thing about it, right? We can, we can't, we, we can, there's none that, we can't say that enough and keep hammering that home, that this movie is current, and that makes it so, so dark. Yeah, for sure. I know this doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but I just wanted to point this out. Yes. I really love that most of the principal cast of 12 Years a Slave are English. Yeah. It just, Steve McQueen, baby. Yeah. yeah. You know, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Lupita Nyong'o, Michael Fassbender, Benedict Cumberbatch, like these are, you know, Brits playing, you know, American icons in a way. Mm -hmm. Some of them, some of them American monsters. I love that. You know, we've, we've, we've had interesting conversations. I think, I think you feel strongly about certain, certain franchises or, yeah, or certain titles that should be British representation or, or whatever it may be. But I, I certainly love, especially a guy like Steve McQueen, who's like, I want my, I want my people with me. (laughs) I want Fazzy with me because I, I fucking trust him. Yeah, as you should, because hunger and shame are amazing. You know, like that's that's I, I understand that. I don't mind, you know, nationality all that much when it comes to casting. It's just there's a couple characters like, you know, James Bond and Harry Potter, who I think should be, you know, traditionally British actors because they're traditionally British characters. Yeah, that's just that's all I really care about. That's that's fair. <laughs> I, 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 I understand that. And, you know, Harry Potter's. So interesting because I think it would be really fun to see a Harry Potter movie with all American. Well, <laughs> all you almost Americans. got your wish because Spielberg almost fucking did that. <laughs> yeah, and that would that would have been fascinating. Would have been terrible. Spielberg, Harry Potter. You think it would have been terrible? I think I don't that know about terrible. Well, not just that, but he was going to combine the first three books into one movie. That's where that's <laughs> th- that's where it gets tricky. And it is, how yeah. long would it be and all that stuff? But it was going to be animated. Like his whole plan Spielberg, was a nightmare. Spielberg, uh, you know. Until it happens, yeah, I'm kind of like, I, I got to see it. He's got, <laughs> I have to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's uh, let's finish this plot kind of d- discussion with the epic ending. Yes. So, <laughs> oh boy. I loved seeing these assholes get theirs. Uh, shame way to lose Eli in the process. But I loved when she is caught by Jasper and he's like, something happened to the general. You got to follow me. And he's so swept up in the fucking Confederate bullshit that he's like, oh, take me to the general. Oh. And then she fucking locks him in the in the burn room. <laughs> the general. Oh, so satisfying. God, fuckers. <laughs> Lights their asses up and just walks away. Oh, my Lord. That's when, yeah, we have that shot of her holding the torch. It's really cool. <laughs> and uh, 
that that when she when Janelle Monet is is sneaking like sneaking out. Damn, man. I I love that's one of my favorite things in horror is like the quiet, those quiet moments. And I was like, man, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> she I think she could be great for for like a textbook horror movie where there is kind of like those scares and whatnot and play like a mom of a family. I, I just think she has so much talent in her. And I, I specifically, I see it for horror. Yeah, I agree. I love when people can, you know, bring out such a great performance in horror movies. Yeah. And she, that, I mean, the finale hinges on her just like selling it, selling it, selling it over and over. Yeah. It's not just Janelle giving a performance. It's Veronica giving a performance. Yes. It, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, you know, I love that layer. Layers. The layering. It's beautiful. Layers. And yeah, to just see her, you know, get on the horse and run. But then she, Elizabeth catches up with her, but she fucks Elizabeth up. Yeah. My God. Had to. And to Jenna Malone had it coming the whole time. She's shooting into the forest and like, why won't you just know your place? And then she gets lassoed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that's like a, you know, there's a brilliant shot as she's riding away and you see, you see where they were. Yeah. Fucking yeah. She just bam hits that Robert E. Lee statue. Yes. Dead on impact. And then, you know, Veronica's like, Oh fuck. I'm on a, I'm on a civil war reenactment battlefield. And then I love the, the fake battle is happening like right outside the woods. Yeah. And she just runs into them. And like you see people, you know, tourists taking pictures. This is happening so close to regular civilization. Yeah. That it's terrifying that nobody ever fucking saw it or even like heard it. Do, people don't, they look the other way. They don't care. They don't. Like, let me get my pictures and move on. Yeah. That's the mentality. It's, it's really disturbing. Extremely, extremely. It makes it, yeah, again. It almost brings it up it so real, like the idea of you know, um, the the sin of omission. Like if you ignore a sin, you're just as capable as culpable. Mm-hmm. I got that vibe a lot from this movie, mm. especially towards the end. Considering how close they were, there's no way in hell nobody didn't see anything. Mm. They just didn't give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, because we're we're talking, you know, Confederate battlefield. Like this is the deep South. Yes. Oh yeah. I'm assuming because it's you know Robert E. Lee. I'm assuming it's Virginia, but. I don't, do we ever find out where this happened? I, I don't know. I'm going to look it up, but I, I think it is Virginia. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. I fucking said it at the beginning of the episode. It's Louisiana. Oh. <laughs> Duh, you did. That was part of your intro. Yeah, yeah. fuck. So, yeah, that's, that's that's pretty damn deep south. <laughs> About as southern as you can get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goddamn. So, yeah, it ends with uh, Janelle Monet just, you know, victoriously riding out of this nightmare. You see the cops talking to the slaves. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then uh, it's almost like that that moment kind of represents like vindication. Almost like it feels like the cops arriving to arrest like actual slave owners of their crimes. I know that's not what's happening, but it looks like that. And it feels like that to see that place get demoed. It's like, I'm glad people took that shit seriously. Because I thought it was going to end with like, you know, the original ending of Get Out where, you know, Janelle Monae was going to prison for killing white people. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, but you let that guy on fire. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know that she's just mentally fucked forever. That kind of thing. You don't get over that. No. <sighs> no. God damn. <laughs> well, I have two film guys and facts for you because there's not a lot of trivia on this film. It's brand new. Yeah. Uh, number one, directors Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz stated that they actually acquired the lenses used to shoot Gone with the Wind in order to create the same feel of that movie, but at the same time, correct it hmm. by showing a more accurate depiction of the antebellum period, especially the treatment of slaves. 
I like that. The actual lenses to shoot. How did they get those? Yeah, that's fascinating. I got to look more into that. Yeah. Number two, Gerard Bush got the idea from a nightmare he once had. <laughs> he initially thought it would be a good basis for a short story, but he later developed it with co-director Christopher Renz into a screenplay for a feature film. Okay. God, a nightmare. Can you imagine? This, this shit actually came from an actual nightmare. That's I listened to him explain it on that Big Picture podcast. Yeah. My God. It's a fascinating podcast. Uh, highly suggested if you like the film. And I, I did like the film. I give this film an eight. I think it's a brilliant concept that is well executed for the most part. Absolutely terrifying at times. And I just, I don't understand all the hate. Yeah, I also give it an eight. I was going into this thinking seven, but as we talked about it more, those moments of talking about scenes and getting chills, I, I can't ignore my emotions on that one. And uh, I, I, I hope, yeah, like you said, five years, I hope this becomes kind of like a cult, cult classic. I think so. I think once, you know, COVID eases up and we're allowed to go back to regular society, God fucking willing. Um, I can imagine this getting a re-release, maybe getting more attention, making that budget back. Yeah. So here's hoping. Yeah, yeah. So to close this out, uh, we thought it would be fun if we did a personal recast of the movie where we take the principal characters and actors and replace the current actors with people we think would either be just as good or better at delivering the performance of that character. So we're going to do just the principal uh, characters, not the whole cast, because that would be ridiculous. So what do we got? Let's. Uh, where do you want to start with this one? Well, uh, I think we should start, we should do Veronica last, right? She's okay. the main character. So we'll start with Dawn. Dawn. You, okay. go, you go ahead. If we have if we have the same one, we have. I have no idea what you have. You have no yeah. idea what I have. So if you have the same one, cool. All right. So Dawn, I was thinking uh, we need the sassy black friend, basically. Okay. So I went with Taraji P. Henson. That's fantastic. She's great. I love, love Taraji. I, I can't argue with that one. I think she'd be great. I went with Jennifer Hudson. <laughs> I almost picked <laughs> Jennifer Hudson. J-Hud, J-Hud. Um, I actually almost put, picked Taraji because I love her. And I wrote an initial list of names down that I had in mind. And then I kind of looked at some age stuff. I didn't realize Taraji. She looks great. She's 50. She's 50? She's 50. And Jennifer Hudson's, you know, more in the range of, of you know, for, for Don, and I was like, I, that's what made me make the decision. I was like, I, Jesus, hats off to Taraji. She looks fantastic. She's I gorgeous. She was 50. 50 years old. If anybody hasn't seen Think Like a Man and Think Like a Man 2, check him out. She's amazing in those. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going off the chemistry that she and Janelle already had in Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures is great. Of course, uh, Octavia, too, is, is wonderful. That's a, that's a damn good movie that we'll uh, eventually do on Oscar Sunday. Math in space. Okay. <laughs> uh, next would be him. Okay. I want to hear yours first. <laughs> so this is this is the one that you kind of think could be leveled up the most. Yes. And uh, I, I agree with you, which is why I went with Matthew McConaughey. Oh my lord! Good choice. Yeah, I think <laughs> I I specifically him picking up the phone. It's just like oh you know, turn on that Lincoln commercial. And just, and just real subtly, like, oh, shit the fuck up, you know? I, I, and then I, I think he would, be, he would be okay in that less is more kind of a role, because he'd be so damn good when he's on the screen. He would be. That is a very good choice. He's already got that southern drawl. That would work great. Ah, oh, that's, that's a great one. So what, what do you got? Okay, so I went with a guy who I don't think has ever played a bad guy. He's almost, he's come close. He might have played a bad guy. I don't know his whole career. But he specifically played a northern general 
in the Civil War film Gettysburg. I'm going with Jeff Daniels. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that call. And can he, he needs to grow the hair back out to dumb yeah. and dumber length. Yes. Yes. Mid-90s. I can see like, I want him to play somebody crazy so bad. I think he would make such a great bad guy. And he just, he hasn't done it. Oh, I love Jeff Daniels. I'm totally fine with either one of those guys <laughs> being in the cast. Maybe, maybe McConaughey can just be like one of the background like generals. <laughs> uh, so the next would be uh, Julia who's played by Kiersey Clemens. Okay. This is an interesting one. So this is a very sad character. And um, I went with an actress who I think can pull off a character that is both like intriguing and just depressing. And I went with Carrie Washington. Oh yeah. That's a great call. Carrie certainly um, can pull this, this, this kind of, you know, costume design and all that stuff off. We've seen her in Django. She's wonderful, right? Yes. Um, I, I like that call a lot. And she's she's a lot different looking than Kirstie Clemens, which is real interesting. Uh, I went with someone who I feel is similar looking to her, and I, I went, chose Tessa Thompson. Oh, okay. I also chose her because she's got the connection with Janelle Monet. They dated, they're friends, they're buddies, and uh, I think she is one of the standouts in the, the latter parts of the MCU. You know, uh, what she's doing in Ragnarok is, to me, you know, really strong performance and I, I would love to see her in any role and this kind of character could use like just juice right just like boom an oomph supporting role so I think those are both great picks Carrie Washington is she could she could play Veronica she was my first choice for Veronica until I started watching a movie tonight and I realized no her okay and we'll get to that huh, what did you watch tonight <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh let's see Next would be this is this is exciting. Uh, Elizabeth, evil motherfucker. Okay. Um. <laughs> so, I had somebody for the longest time, and I decided to axe her and went with somebody who I think can play nut job really well because I saw her kind of play not racist but crazy on Fargo. I'm going with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. All right. Okay, I see that. I definitely see that. <laughs> and she, I thought she was good in uh, Birds of Prey as well. Yes. Uh, that's the most recent thing I've seen. Uh, shout out to Fargo, season four. It's live. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, I'm having fun. Uh, by the time this is out, we'll both have caught, watched the first two episodes. Yes. Uh, that's a great call. I, I, I see that a lot. I went in the complete different direction. I went with someone that I adore and that I haven't seen do anything, anything like this. And it would be a mega challenge, but she's one of the best to do it right now, and that's Michelle Williams. Holy shit. Michelle Williams, to Ooh. me, to me is, you know, one of the more talented, you know, female actresses that's under 40 right now. She's already done so many like, terrific, uh, terrific roles, right? She's tackled and worked with all kinds of different directors. Uh, I would love to... See, I, I think if she's on the screen, you just, you just fucking pay attention. She kind of has yeah. that... And Jenna Malone is great, and it would be very hard to kind of capture that because of just kind of the way she looks, her her darker hair, her the way her eyes are just kind of menacing. I think Michelle Michelle Williams would have some work to do, but she can do it. She's yeah. she's the best. To see her play a psychotic racist bitch, wow. Yeah, I would I would pay money to see that. Right, yeah. right, yeah. That's the one, that's one of those roles where you're like, that guy's doing. She's doing that. J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. What? Yeah. He's doing what? <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And anytime, <laughs> God bless, rest in peace, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, anytime he popped up anything, I was like, well, yeah, 
here's, yeah, I got to see that. He's, he's the man. It doesn't matter what it is. And that would that would bring us to Jasper. Jasper, okay. The, the most frightening guy in the movie. This one took me a while because I wanted somebody who captures this just insane, but also kind of like, how do I explain this? He's crazy on the weekdays, but then on the weekends when he goes home, you buy that he's just this normal guy. Mm-hmm. So I went with Bill Skarsgård. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I like that. And, uh, and freshly off of seeing Devil all the time. Yeah. You know? Honestly, anybody from that movie could have made it to this list. Yeah. Yeah. I was oh, to- well, Robert Pattinson. I was toying Jesus. with Pattinson for yeah. a bit, but then I thought that's too close to the preacher. I'm going to go with Skarsgård. I like that. I like that. I went. I went a little a little older. And again, I went with someone similar to Michelle Williams. Right. I haven't quite seen him do this. I've seen him play a douchebag in Wedding Crashers. <laughs> and I've seen him play a borderline manipulative uh, alcoholic in Stars Born. Oh, boy. Uh, Bradley Cooper. Oh, boy. I think Bradley Shh. Cooper has uh, has a presence, obviously. Yes. And um, him him as that <laughs> is another thing that yeah would be kind of like sign me up I'll give you twenty bucks to, <laughs> to see to see him do something like that with his hair slicked back on a horse Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> B Coop that's a good pick that's a very good pick he'd be it's, terrifying th- yeah he's he, he could be you know and I I really haven't seen him do anything like well not a lot of people have right I I think. Leo went through my mind, but then I was like, well, we've seen that. Yeah. Calvin Candy. He's played, you know, psycho racist and that's, before. And I'm sure, like, yeah, he could do it. And so you're kind of like, sure, fire. But no, I want to I want to give someone an opportunity that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I, I even thought about, because Paul Dano shows flashes of it in 12 Years a Slave. Ooh. And he's older now, you know, yeah. and has directed a film now. And I could see him. Someone we, we both like a lot. I think, yeah, he has the chops. He definitely has the chops. But but Cooper's older and, and has that kind of, that that just dominant presence. Houston has this like mentality of, you know, maybe this is his second or third year doing this. A guy like Cooper, you would believe that he's been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. He's like, he, he reminds you of like old Hollywood. You're just like, he does. God damn that guy. He has like a Cary Grant thing going on. The guy is just class. Yeah. Hansel's <laughs> so hot right now. <laughs> Bradley Cooper. <laughs> that brings us, we, we got two left. Okay. And so, the, you know, we got, we got, Eli, Professor Eli, and, we, and then we got Veronica. So you go ahead and give your Eli. Eli. So this is a kind of, I, I see kind of an older, you know, experienced black gentleman, someone who's been through the ringer, someone who's, you know, lived it. And I had just watched Waves. And I decided to go with Mr. Sterling K. Brown. Yeah. Holy yeah, shit. Me too. We have overlap. Oh, my God. Waves <laughs> Waves is so goddamn special. And Sterling K. Brown with like <laughs> lift this movie up to new heights. Yes, he would. Absolutely. God damn. That guy, <laughs> that guy can, that guy can act and he rips my heart out. Oh man. He, the yeah. scene with his daughter and they're just, just talking and fishing. Oh man. Get the fuck out of here. How is that movie not up for anything? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to have you. to have a full discussion on that one. I told you, man. <laughs> it's a special one. Yes. Sterling K. I had a feeling for a minute, then I was like, no, no. <laughs> I, I thought, I thought, I bet he goes Don Cheadle because I, I know we both really like him. And I was like, I, I, I could see Don Cheadle playing this too. Because true, but Sterling, talk about a guy who's been through a lot of movies and that's true. done a lot of shit. But Sterling K. Brown plays tortured so well. And and can you 
Sterling K. Brown, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. The scene when he's like, we have to tell people about this. Like Sterling K.'s eyes just like speak to you. Like just the way he looks at you. I hope Uh, they at least called him and told him about the project because this is like perfect for him. And he's like, ah, I would, but I got something else. Yeah, I hope that Ah, at least happened. Yeah. Jesus. That's great. That's fantastic. I love that. That's wonderful. And that brings us to to the last (laughs) last recast here. And that's Veronica. Veronica. I'll, I'll go first and let you finish it off. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll say why for a minute, why I chose this person. First off, we both like her a lot. We, we find her to be very talented. She's British. Wait a minute. No way. No way. All right. She appeared with Janelle Monet in a movie called Moonlight. Oh my God. And I think, I think she in 28 days later. Oh my God. I think she (laughs) played, I think she plays tortured. Just as well as Sterling K. Brown. And so I'm going to go Naomi Harris as Veronica. I watched Skyfall earlier tonight and thought, you know what? Naomi Harris would be perfect for this. I also have Naomi Harris. (laughs) We did not plan this. This was independent. I fucking knew on that one, though. Because we love her. The second you said British, I'm like, no. Yeah. She's... Naomi Harris, she's 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 about ten years older than Janelle Monae, but my God, when I say she has chops, you know, uh, for sure, Moonlight, Skyfall, Twenty Eight Days Later, those are kind of the three that I, but 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 Moonlight, she's in the movie with Janelle Monae, and she's playing an American woman, yeah, and does it very 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 well, <laughs> and I, you talked about Sterling K. Brown being tortured, I I just think she captures it in female form, and yeah. I, I certainly, you know, think Janelle Monáe would be okay with that. Yes, I think so. <laughs> That's fucking fantastic, man. I can't believe that. Naomi. <laughs> yeah, we love we, we love we love those actors. We definitely chose some some fun ones. And uh, you know, for all you listeners, you know that we've done drafts and you know, uh tournaments and brackets and whatnot. We'll, we'll throw this into the ring too. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh especially with like a singular film right where you can just pick like six or seven characters. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do this more often because we didn't know what to do with 2020. We didn't. We already we did host. Yeah, we covered that one already. So we were kind of just at a loss here, but this was a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll, we'll do this more often and uh, we'll get we'll get even more creative and, and just pick all these different crazy kind of actors because it's so fun to think of them. Yeah, like getting the opportunity, right? Especially when you get a film that's, you know, not current, like in the 80s and you have to kind of go through the 80s a-listers at the time because we can't just throw you know current actors into the 80s scene we want to be as realistic as possible with these yes yeah like of course Marlon brando would be great as jack as um jasper yeah of course but what are we gonna go do dig him up no (laughs) so yeah so this is cool i like having you know every aspect of this show be our content instead of just reading a synopsis and kind of reacting to it yeah we hope you guys like it too yeah thank you for listening to Antebellum. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you learned something about this film. I hope it, if you haven't seen it yet, I hope it inspires you to shell out, you know, 20 bucks with a friend and watch it on demand. Next week, we're going back to Korea for a 2002 crime thriller from the director of Old Boy. A recently laid off factory worker kidnaps the daughter of his boss's friend, hoping he can use the ransom money to pay for his sister's operation. The first installment of Chan Wook Park's Vengeance trilogy This is Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, a film neither of us have seen yet, but is currently available on Shudder. If you'd like to watch along with us, get briefed for next week's show. That's where you can find this movie. Oh, yeah.
And also this Sunday, we'll be covering the 1938 gangster flick Angels with Dirty Faces on Oscar Sunday. So check that out if you want. Although, good luck finding the movie. (laughs) Yeah, very, very tough. That's going to be just kind of like a exploration for us. Uh, Let's give the other four films out just for shits and giggles. It's White Heat, uh, Boys Town. Yep. The Adventures of Robin Hood and the winner of that year, You Can't Take It With You. There were 10 films nominated for Best Pictures, so we're just doing a pick and choose of films that we think are going to best support a conversation. Yes, so if you can if you can find any of those, shoot for it and uh, join us on Sunday. Yes, indeed. Until then, if you're black and outspoken, always triple check your Uber so you don't end up on a 21st century secret cotton plantation. God, this movie was fucked up. See you next Wednesday. Very. Mm-hmm.